Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Hello, welcome to another week of lockdown, another week of no football and another week of Football Social Daily. The best way to keep on the button when it comes to the latest news from the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson, hello, and I'm actually pretty surprised exactly how much there is to talk about when it comes to the beautiful game right now. When you consider a ball hasn't been kicked for around a month now, there are still loads to discuss. And we've got Noah McCorn and Marley Anderson on the podcast today. Hello, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello. So today we're going to be talking Wayne Rooney. He says he should have scored more goals for club and country during his career. But is he being just a little bit too hard on himself? We're going to be opening up the old did Rooney reach his full potential debate in a little bit on the podcast. There's some new signings for Manchester City and a few rumours flying around when it comes to the future of England captain Harry Kane. Again, we'll wrap up all the transfer rumours towards the end of today's podcast. But first, we're going to talk about if and when the Premier League season might resume after a new meeting from Premier League clubs that happened on Friday. Now, it was thought that during Friday's catch-up, there was going to be a push from a large portion of clubs to put a hard stop on the Premier League, have it all wrapped up by 30th of June, or if that wasn't the case, then have the outcome of the league decided in some other way. That is, after all, the date that players' contracts are up. It's also the date that new deal kit deals kick in and that kind of thing. That didn't seem to be raised in the end. That was pushed to one side for the time being. Instead, it turned out that what was discussed was a number of options and scenarios on how to complete the league post-lockdown. And the leading suggestion there seemed to be a 40-day window that would start at the earliest on June the 8th to complete the remainder of Premier League games this season. That's 92 games in total, 8-10 to games for the Premier League clubs that are involved. It still seems pretty unclear as to what's going to happen and how it's going to pan out. But it does seem from this meeting, the one thing I think we can take away, Marley, is there's going to be no football before June the 8th. Yep, and that means another two months of 
just sat around doing nothing with no sport to watch, um, which is annoying. But it is what it is. Um, as I've said before, you know this is a this is a weird situation, and and we have to accept as as football fans that, that we're not that important in the grand scheme of things um, until we get a, a solid like lock on this situation. It can't come back. Um, we've seen what happened in the Champions League when when Atalanta played Valencia. Those those two cities in in the respective countries became the hub spot of their um, their coronavirus outbreak in their countries when when all the fans went back to where they were from. So we we need to avoid things like that, and it's it's pointless doing all this hard work uh, that, that everyone's done. And well, I say hard work. They've sat on the backsides at home, I suppose, but. Um, it seems pointless to to rule that out by coming back too soon. So, if you have to play ten games in forty days, I honestly don't think that's a, such a bad idea. Um, I don't think that's too much for players. Um, I think that by the time you get back into the swing of things, there'll be an acceptance that okay, you you might not have your best players fit for every game because it's quite hard to do ninety minutes every four days. But also that this is why this is why Premier League players have a a twenty-five man squad. There are there are two players for every position, or there should be if you've if you've got um got the means to to compete, which everybody should. Um, there shouldn't be that many injuries going around because even the big injuries towards the last se- end of last season, these guys should have almost be back now. If you think of uh, Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane, Leroy Sane, they're all fit and ready to go now. So players are coming back and getting fitter and. And should be should be raring to go as if it was the start of the season. So to play every four days, fine, like do it. Even if you've got to rotate your team a lot, it doesn't really matter to me because you should have enough to to have the means to play once every four days. And I suppose with that schedule, with saying forty days, ten games, that does work out about once every four days for the clubs who have the more fixtures to play. It, everyone is in the same boat in that scenario. Everyone's facing a gruelling fixture schedule exactly like course course it's the same for everyone so if you know brighton turn around for example and say oh well you know we've only got uh you know 14 players fit it's like well it's the same for everyone like you've you've given everyone the same schedule you're not cutting your nose off to spite your face in terms of uh you know the players you've got fit and what have you so as long as it's a level playing field, that's all you can really ask for. Asking players to play this amount of games in a short space of time is not the norm. So it's going to be a bit of a shock to their systems. And we've had discussions earlier on this season, especially on the podcast, about whether there are too many games, whether there is fixture congestion. There's been lots of complaints over the last two seasons, I can remember, from players and managers alike that there are too many mm. games. And Jurgen Klopp was one of those managers who came out and said, there's too many games, it's unfair on the players, they're going to get injured, they're normal human beings, we need to look after them and wrap them in cotton wool. Now, all of a sudden, everyone in the you know media world and every every fan sat at home, bored out of their brains because there's no football, is saying, oh, great, yeah, well, they're Premier League footballers, they can, they can deal with it. <laughs> so, I mean, what's changed just because there's no football? Now, all of a sudden, you've changed your tune on the fact that there are too many games uh, played in quick succession. Unfortunately, as a footballer, you know you live a privileged lifestyle. Unfortunately, there are sacrifices that come with being paid the amount of money that Premier League players get paid. For instance... You probably don't get much of a Christmas day. You mm. end up training at the training ground, ready for games at Boxing Day over what is a, a heavily filled schedule around the Christmas period with games. 
Um, you're making sacrifices in terms of the likelihood is you, you can't really go out and drink alcohol. You can't really socialize that often. Um, you need to be seen to have a clean image. There are many sacrifices you make as a professional footballer. And unfortunately, due to the situation, one of the sacrifices is having to play this amount of games in quick succession. And if that's what it takes to finish the season, that's what it takes. I mean, even if you've got, you know, for instance, a bit of a wage deferral, you're still picking up 50 grand a week. Mm. And let's face it, what have we been in lockdown for a month now? I mean, that's four weeks of wages and that's a lot of money clubs are paying out to players that haven't done anything. Yeah, you know, and they, they can't be spending play- money in the same way. Surely they, they can't be like buying new Ferraris every week at the moment during exactly. lockdown. Anyway, the Ferrari shops are closed. There's nowhere to drive them anyway, Jim, is there? So to be honest, it's, it's an interesting You're saving money on insurance too. 100% exactly, although fuel's cheaper, which might, uh, you know, you never know. Um, but it's one of those things where I think, well, okay, I understand their gripes about saying, you know, we can't play this many games in a week. But when NHS staff signed yeah. up to be doctors and nurses and, and everything else, I doubt they expected to be working through a pandemic. I'm sure they expected to be working long hours and saving lives and, you know helping people get back on their feet and, and, and ensuring people are in a, in a safe place and medically sound. But I didn't, I don't imagine that many of them would have signed up thinking, okay, I'm going to be working 19, 20 hour days, going home, sleeping for six hours and coming back into work mm. again with a lack of protective equipment, helping to save people's lives, helping to stop the spread of a pandemic, helping to keep the country on its feet. I mean, these people aren't complaining. They're not complaining. So don't complain about playing free games in a week, whatever it is, because you're not you're getting paid a lot of money to do a very privileged job. And it's one of the sacrifices you must make as a footballer. So although it sounds like a lot and it probably is going to be crammed in, it's something we're going to have to take on the chin. And as football fans, I think probably we have to accept as well that when the league does return, be it on June the 8th or be it at some point in the future, the standard is not going to be what we're expecting or what we're used to because playing that many games in a short period of time, that's going to impact players' fitness. The fact they've spent two months pro by then sitting on their arse not playing football, that's going to have an impact as well. So it won't be the elite-level sport we're potentially used to seeing. I can't wait to see who comes back from this lockdown absolutely shredded and which players come back fat. And uh, it's, it's just going to, it's going to be fascinating. And Dombele is going to look like an Easter egg. Troy <laughs> 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 Deeney is going to come back looking like um, Captain America. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, this date on June the 8th, we're assuming at the moment, it's a very tentative date in the diary at the moment. And we're assuming that if that does happen, it's going to be games behind closed doors they're already talking that there'll be a maximum of 250 people in the ground i don't quite know why it needs to be that many but that's the kind of figure they put on everyone that goes in will be tested there's some debate from people and i don't quite buy into this this is the whole real fans argument the idea that real fans who go to the matches are being victimized by the fact that these seasons won't be completed with crowds that there shouldn't be any football until crowds could return which is probably i mean we might be talking about a year until that's a realistic scenario for 50,000 people to get together in one location surely they have to do something before then but the idea that real fans are being victimized firstly i hate the snobbish idea that you're only a real football fan if you go to the stadium every week the idea that you mean more that you're more important than another fan who say watches games on tv because i think football's just moved on beyond that point now 
But is there an argument to say that the guys who have season tickets, the guys that go to matches every week, are being victimised, are low down the pecking order when they're looking to continue games without a crowd? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, if as I've said before, I mean, you you have to have a, an understanding if you're a fan that you you're not the most important thing about this whole this whole thing. I mean, the the timing of this situation has came where we need to sort of get the the season finished one way or another, and then focus on what the what the long term plan is of getting fans back in stadiums. Um, if if you're kicking off because you can't go to a you can't go to a match on a Saturday because you know, the, there's a pandemic arrived. Like, it, it, you've, I don't know how thick you've got to be to say, well, I want to watch my football, therefore I will risk my actual health to go and watch a football match you could actually get very, very mm. ill from and potentially die. So people saying, if anyone... I've not heard too many people saying it's unfair on those fans. I think it's only unfair on the fans if, if the clubs don't support them and reimburse them for any lost money. They've They've had, like... Uh, they've, like saying they've already paid for the season ticket and they can't go to a game, then obviously they need reimbursing. But as long as that gets gets levelled out and that's on the clubs to do that, then that's the only real uh, sympathy I'd have for a fan who doesn't want to miss out on going to a game. I don't like the word victimised, Jim. I, th- I mean, I just... It makes it feel like these match-going supporters are being singled out. And this is a debate I've seen so many times on Twitter over the last few seasons, mm-hmm. over what is a, as you call it, a real fan or whatever people oh, might it. deem it. it. And do you know what? I, I've come up with a, a solution in my own brain because I do feel that <laughs> in terms of respect and uh, and what people go through to watch their club, I do think those fans that pay money to you know travel to the likes of Newcastle away or whatever um, every week do deserve, a, a, they do deserve credit, don't they? They deserve props. Fair play. They deserve credit, yeah. But it's like saying because you go to the cinema to watch a film, you have more right to enjoy it than someone who watches it on Netflix. I see what you're saying. Which is a ridiculous argument. Which is why I've come up with this sort of idea in my head. And okay. I'll, I'll explain it in a sec. But also it's the same as fans, for instance. There are fans of football clubs who maybe used to go in their younger years for like five or six seasons on the spin and didn't miss a game and then have since emigrated and are expats or now their health determines that they can't go to fixtures, are they any less of a fan because they haven't been to a game for 10 years? And so, I mean, where's where's the, where does the line get drawn here? The way I've kind of come up with a solution is I think there's a marked difference between a fan and a supporter. And those two terms are used interchangeably and understandably so. It's been the same for 50 years in football and I don't think it's going to change. I think... A fan is someone who, like you say, probably doesn't go to many games or any games, watches the games on TV, follows the club on social media, is a fan of West Ham United. A supporter is someone who pays for tickets, who travels to games and watches the game. A West Ham supporter and a West Ham fan. A fan is someone who watches the game on telly and probably keeps up with it on social media, uh, is a fan of the organisation which is West Ham United Football Club. A supporter is someone who supports the club by being there in attendance, supporting the team in the stands, by paying for tickets, by paying for club travel, probably more likely to buy a shirt or less likely, that's arguable. So I think in my mind there is a marked difference between a football fan and a football supporter. Um, But then again, I'm as guilty as anyone else for using those two terms interchangeably. So I've always said this for the last two or three years since I've seen these debates going on on Twitter, that there is a difference between fan and supporter. Whether that makes any odds in terms of whether these people are being victimised 
criticised, I'm not so sure. I think, unfortunately, everyone is in the same situation. There is going to be no football when it does come back on the June the 8th, which I think is optimistic, like you mentioned before. It's going to be behind closed doors. There will be no football for the rest of the season for fans to be able to go to. Unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Marley's had his stag do cancelled. I was meant to go on a stag do the first week of lockdown. That was cancelled. Um, people have lost money on holidays, but people have lost loved ones. People have lost family members. People have lost friends. And so, I mean, it puts it into perspective. I mean, just because you've paid a few quid for a season ticket, and I know it should be all an end all, you are going to miss out. Unfortunately, it's unforeseen circumstances and things come around eventually. Mm. You know, who cares? I mean, would you say to a football fan, for instance, a Newcastle fan, you haven't won a major trophy since the 50s. You miss five months of the season. You don't see your team for five months. But next season, you go and win the FA Cup. I'm sure they would have, if you asked them that two seasons ago, they would have said yes. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that's something that's on the table at the moment, the uh, FA Cup <laughs> for Newcastle. I mean, my concern about the whole closed doors games and fans not being there is that people are idiots and i went to the park near my house yesterday for my allotted period of exercise and there were people standing around having chats people sitting having picnics in the middle of the grass nobody really observing the idea they had to stay two meters away from other people as they passed on the path if you put games behind closed doors there is every chance that you're going to get groups of fans getting together either to either to watch the game in some capacity or even turn up at the stadium to try and get an autograph from the players as they get off the bus there needs to be massive restrictions in place to monitor that kind of activity as well it's it, it, it's a massive headache for the authorities yeah i agree as well because you're going to have i mean people don't realize how much actually goes into stadium operations on a match day clubs have to pay for police Club, I mean, the police don't just turn up and do the job. The, the clubs have to pay the police to have a presence at their games. There needs to be a certain amount of stewards per amount of spectators in the ground. You have to have police by law at a ground, but also you have to pay them to be there. It's an expense that clubs have. I mean, the only way I can think to get around your solution is to close all roads around the stadium. But then again, if you think of somewhere like Anfield and Goodison Park, where there are residential areas in the immediate vicinity mm. of the stadium, you can't just close the road because Everton are playing. You know, if someone wants to go and get their shopping and you say, sorry, you can't come this way. So what's the only way to the supermarket? Well, you're going to have to wait three hours for this game to finish. It's not going to go down very well. I mean, we're circling back round to the argument that the season has to be completed in some way. And that seems to be the consensus at the moment. The Premier League have taken the idea that they'll just scrap the season off the table it would seem and we had the Brighton chairman this week Marley coming out and saying that if games aren't played if for any reason they have to decide the league in some other way be that form or be that points so far or the table as it stands whatever it is that teams cannot be relegated I mean you would expect the Brighton chairman to say something along these lines given the situation that Brighton find themselves in but he was saying European places fine you can kind of hand them out based on whatever parameters you want. But as far as relegation is concerned, there is just too much at stake to decide it without playing those final few games. Yeah, and uh, I'd, I'd agree with that as well. I think um, that was the whole problem. If there was, a, if there was a, a situation which could have been taken now, for example, if, if we were only one game away from the end of the season and the bottom three were solidified as the three that were going down, I think, I think the Premier League would have took it by now. Um, however, it it isn't it isn't like that. So, the the harshest thing is 
would be deciding who is is getting relegated and you can't do that because of the financial implications that's why people came up with the um the solution of having no relegation and having um the two automatic teams come up from the championship next year and then next year have five uh, relegation spots instead of three um and that's just because you can't mm. every, you know clubs need the the premier league TV money to survive because you can't have teams going down when the when the season wasn't finished. There's every chance Bournemouth and Aston Villa were, and even Norwich would fancy the chances of getting out of the relegation zones and pulling the likes of West Ham or Brighton or whoever into the into the mix and into the bottom three. But it's uh, I think it's 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 fair to say that uh, you can't relegate teams if you don't finish the season. I don't think that's ever gonna be. Uh, a, a situation we find ourselves looking at because, you know, it, it it is completely unfair and there's the impending lawsuits and and sue you know clubs suing the league for things that were out that were out of control out of their control if those things did happen so that's it's just never going to happen and but yeah you can see why Brighton's uh, Brighton's chairman is saying that but also he is he is bang on with it to be honest. The other interesting comments that are coming out about the effects of COVID-19 on the football season so far have come from Damien Camoli, who might not be a name you instantly recognise, but he's the former director of football at both Tottenham and Liverpool, or has been the director of football in those for those clubs. Now, his view was not only that football has a duty to fans and a duty to entertain, so he was very much on board with the idea of games starting again behind closed doors at some point but he also commented on the financial impact on the virus Um, he suggested that clubs right now could be losing as much as nine million pounds a week which is a crazy amount of money on a weekly basis and he said he'd also had a conversation with a football agent who said that it is very possible that only three premier league clubs could be spending money in the summer window they would be the only clubs that could afford to we, I assume he's referring to both Manchester clubs. I mean, Solskjaer's already talked about Manchester United's ambitious spending plans this summer, probably including Liverpool in that scenario. Maybe we throw in Newcastle, depending on what happens with the takeover situation. But the long-term impact here could be that the gap between the very top of the Premier League, the cream, and the rest gets even bigger than it already is if you've only got that cream that's actually spending money to improve their teams. Firstly, I think teams will be glad that Camoli isn't the one spending their money because if you look at his transfer record when he was a director of football at Liverpool, Stuart Downing, Doney, Sebastian Coates, Andy Carroll, the list goes on and on. So the guy <laughs> the guy doesn't have the best track record over the last few years. I think he's now director of football in Tur- I think he's at Fenerbahce, I think. So yeah, I mean, he's not got the best track record, although he has discovered some good players in his time. I think it's fair to, to balance that out. But yeah, I think you're right. I think this is the this is the turning point for football. Mm. I do think it is that serious. I mean, people might think I'm overreacting here, but I genuinely do think this is uh, the turning point for football. I mean, how long can the Premier League continue with this gap widening? Because b- before too long, it's going to become a chasm. We've seen the top four become the top six. Are we going to add to that top six with Wolves and Leicester and Everton? Maybe, but I don't think that will happen. So I think we are going to see a big separation between the top six of the Premier League and the rest of the Premier League. And you can see how much that is already coming into effect by how tight the table is this season. 
and you know how tight the bottom half of that league table is i mean a win a loss and a draw sorry and you're back down into the relegation zone i mean that's how serious i mean one win and you're out of it i mean we were writing watford off a few months back saying mm. they're doomed they've got no chance and then they beat liverpool and then all of a sudden they're out of the, the the danger zone for a bit so you're just thinking what on earth is going on um and i think that we will see an inevitable change in the football structure in this country and i think it's been coming for a long long time um sadly I think we will see some EFL clubs and National League clubs, non-league teams, going out of business. I think we will see a restructure in the game. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what, but I think it will happen. I think the gap is getting too big. Um, we'll obviously be inclined to protect the bigger clubs, the bigger institutions in our country, the likes of the top six. They will be protected. In fact, they won't even need protecting because they'll have enough money anyway to keep themselves going, which is why this whole argument of Premier League clubs furloughing staff came about and why that was probably the right decision that it's all been U-turned now you know I just think there'll be a change I don't know what will change too but I think it's been coming for a while we've seen clubs really struggle financially to try and keep up with their opponents and to keep up um, with signing the best players and to keep competitive it's got to a point now where it's almost a tipping point where will we Mm. see something as sad as it is this coronavirus actually dictate and determine the future of football I mean in terms of the transfer market taking that in isolation there's two likely outcomes here one is that transfer fees will fall because if there aren't as many clubs competing for the signature of a player the market forces suggest that player's value is going to drop and the other one is that some clubs might be able to take advantage of the situation that other clubs find themselves in because there are going to be clubs even Premier League teams that come out of this situation struggling financially. Now, Marley, you're the supporter or fan. I forget how we're clarifying this from (laughs) Miles' uh, idea earlier. But of a team who could well benefit from this scenario, how do you feel about being a Newcastle United fan who could see Newcastle preying on clubs like my club, West Ham, like a Norwich City, like a Leicester City, potentially, who are forced to let players go but not necessarily replace them and maybe a club that could take advantage of that situation in Newcastle. Well, firstly, I think um, I'm not neither a fan or supporter because as soon as this uh, takeover goes through, I think I'll be referred to as a glory hunter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a strange time, isn't it? Because, you know, if it's a weird time to do a takeover, if, if, if you're honest, but it seems like this week there will be an announcement that... Um, Ding dong, the witch is dead and Mike Ashley's gone, which is great. Um, and these guys um, from Saudi and and the Amanda Stavely and PCP partners and, and all the rest of it will come in um, and then launch into a, a transfer market that has never been like any other. So it's a weird one um, to, to mm. take in as a fan because, like... You would assume you would assume that people are more willing to sell to to balance the books, maybe. Um, so maybe it's a very clever time to mm. to make your move in in the uh, in the takeover market and, and maybe get a little bit more value for for money and um, and pick off clubs that need the money a little bit more. So, for example, the team that's going down, let's say Norwich, all of a sudden. I mean Ben Godfrey and Timu Puki and their their assets might uh, might be a little bit pushed towards the door slightly if uh, if they have got a bit of trouble. If you look at the like of likes of Leeds, 
if if they don't come up. Doesn't it feel slightly unscrupulous though to take that kind of approach, particularly if you're looking at? I mean, it feels to me like in this scenario, when the whole of the world is attempting to work together, there should be maybe some kind of agreement between Premier League clubs that they're not going to prey on the weaker teams by paying less in transfer fees or picking off prize assets. That in fact it should be a case of right, let's work together. Let's look at swap deals. Let's look at loan deals where we can help each other out and build our squads. But football doesn't have a reputation for doing that. No, because at the end of the day, football's a football's a business, and money makes the world go round. So if you're willing to buy, then then you then somebody might be willing to sell. I mean, if somebody if you needed the money and somebody offered you, you know, a player plus. Two million or ten million for your player, you'd probably take it from a business point of view, um, and then try and buy another player for for less than the profit you've just made on the player you've sold, or or push a, a youth team player through, or take your chances just without them. So, I think it, it helps more to have more money in the coffers. It depends on clubs' finances, obviously, and, and how precarious their positions are. But more money would would probably help them a little bit more, I would say, than than saying, you know, being a bit more uh, socialist about it and saying, well, let's all share our players. Because at the end of the day, I don't think anybody, I don't think it's anybody's um, anybody's prerogative to to care about other teams in terms of uh, sort of feeling sorry for them if they if they're losing players. Because at the end of the day, your it's your it's your club, so you've got a have the trust in your in your board that they're not living uh, precarious in a precarious position where this could end them because they've got so much there's so much money in football that realistically a club shouldn't be relying on on a furlough scheme or anything like that to um to help the, their team out the potential impact is already showing in some of the transfer rumours that are doing the rounds at the moment. We'll talk about them very shortly on Football Social Daily. And we're going to talk about Wayne Rooney. Did he underachieve during his footballing career? We'll get on to that next. This is Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk Wayne Rooney now. And it seems like a crazy question to ask, given that Wayne Rooney is England and Manchester United's top goal scorer. But it's a question that he's kind of raised himself in a recent article. But did Wayne Rooney underachieve? Now, Rooney has said in his Sunday Times column that... He should have scored more goals because he was not a natural finisher. Does he have a point, Niall? Is he being a little bit over self-critical? Do you know what? I think he does have a point. I mean, I'm not convinced about what he says about his finishing, about him not being a natural finisher. When he first came onto the scene, he could score any type of goals. And he he still kind of could, into his late 20s, you know, headers, left-footed, right-footed, penalties, free kicks. What's interesting to note is that Rooney's kind of career tailed off well what are we saying when did he join Everton 2017 so three or four years ago when he is just the other side of 30 if you think about players like James Milner who's the same age as Rooney 34 he's still playing in a title winning squad and I know they're different positions when you're up front you're kind of expected to be a little bit more prolific body type as well isn't it to a certain extent yeah for sure but I mean I felt like 
that one season at Everton, he kind of played in a more central midfield role. I remember mm. him scoring a couple of goals. Well, this just sums Rooney up, doesn't it? I remember him scoring a couple of goals from the halfway line like it was just a simple tap-in. Do you know? Um, I remember him scoring a, a long-range goal for Everton, or a hat-trick, I think it was, for Everton in his, in his second spell there. He was kind of pulling strings from centre midfield, and I think... If he's doing that at the age he of... He played that role for England a couple of times as well towards the end, but didn't he? Also, kind of in that also for United, late, late 2018. Towards the end of his United career, he, he tended to do a, a similar thing. Um, you know, he, he obviously broke the United goal-scoring record, which is an incredible achievement to be able to do that. And he's a hell of a player, one of England's finest players that we've ever produced. But, I mean, for him to be at the age of 29, 30, 31, sitting in central midfield as someone who scored over 200 goals in the Premier League... I mean, that's just, mm. that's mind-blowing to me. I mean, what happened? Was it because he had a good football brain? Was he able to pull strings? Was he not dynamic enough, not quick enough? Wasn't good at finishing enough, as he mentions himself? What was the reason for him to drop back into that central position? Um, that is what I'm finding quite interesting. So I'm just going to sort of try and look through some of Wayne Rooney's seasons and see where he did start to decline and start to dip off. I think from United fans' perspective, it was when he wasn't happy at the club and nearly moved to City I can't remember what season that was but he ended up staying and then obviously kind of saw the end of the Sir Alex Ferguson era and then he went through two or three managers since then so I don't know what Rooney's kind of expectations of himself were but to think that anyone got as close to Alan Shearer's record as Rooney did I mean he's a hell of a player and like you say I don't know when mm. Shearer retired Marley will be able to, to tell you on that I think it was about the age that Rooney is now 34 35 because he had a knee injury Alan Shearer but certainly Rooney uh, uh, you know in the last four years at least hasn't been playing up front and I think if he had been and been getting the chances he would have he would have scored even more goals, like he says himself. I mean, you look at his goal-scoring rate for Manchester United, 0.45 goals a game. For England, it was only a touch worse, 0.44 goals a game. It's hard to see him improving on that, Marley, isn't it? Uh, it, it is, yeah. Um, if you think it was... It's just kind of... He was a strange player in, in terms of what he did when um, when he got a bit older. He He dropped back into like you know when he was when he was a teenager he was like all over the pitch but he was mainly up front and he was he had loads of energy in the final third where whereas when he got a bit older he he dropped back uh, into the attacking mid and centre midfield roles a lot of players when they get older as as strikers become a more limited striker for example uh, you mentioned Alan Shearer and it wouldn't be a football social daily podcast without me talking about Alan Shearer but <laughs> Shearer was in his younger days he was quick and he, he could go he could, um, could go past fullbacks and, and get in the channels and that kind of thing but when he became a bit older and, and suffered with a couple of injuries he became a target man and a, a, a penalty box striker a lot, and that's what most strikers do as an older when they get a bit older and, and lose a bit of lose a bit of pace or, or whatever they whatever they do, but instead of doing that, Rooney went into a, a more combative role in in the middle of midfields where he it kind of took more stamina, but allowed him to kind of make things happen rather than finish be on the finishing uh, finishing side of, of things. But um, it is kind of weird that he does say that. He should have scored more goals, considering he's the top scorer for England and Man United. But 
in fairness, he probably could. But if if he'd have been a, if he'd become a penalty box limited striker, he he probably would have la- lasted a couple more years and probably chipped in with another couple of fifteen goal hauls in in a, in a couple of seasons and got very close to Alan Shearer's uh, Alan Shearer's Premier League record, I would think. I remember having a conversation. I think it was with Alex. Stepney, former Manchester United goalkeeper, when I was doing a football phoning in Manchester about Manchester United, and it was when Rooney left United and went back to Everton, and we were talking about the whether he'd underachieved or overachieved at Manchester United, and I think we came to the conclusion that expectations were so high when Wayne Rooney first joined Manchester United, when he burst onto the scene with Everton and scored that goal against Arsenal, I think, wasn't it? And he just seemed such a young talent. And maybe he didn't quite live up to the expectations, but those expectations were almost impossible to live up to at the same time. Yeah, you don't burst onto the scene as a 16-year-old and commentators say, remember the name Wayne Rooney. And then, you know, if you become a flop, yeah, that's that's the worst, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it before with players where they've come through at a young age. I mean, what was what was the one at United? Federico Makeda came in as a 17-year-old, youngest United player to ever score in the Premier League, um, helped Manchester United uh, get over the line in that season when they needed it and then what happened to him he ended up fizzling out completely and you know he's not really had much of a memorable career after that but he was one of those players that burst onto the scene in a Manchester United shirt obviously Rooney did it um, at Everton at a time where when you think about it England had one of the best squads in international football I mean think about that 2002 World Cup team that everyone posts photos of on Twitter saying how did this team underachieve I mean, you think Scholes, Gerard Lampard, Ferdinand, Terry, Carragher, Owen, Fowler, Shearer, Sheringham, all these players and stuff sort of in the international frame. And then you've got this 16-year-old kid who comes through at Everton and starts scoring ridiculous goals. I mean, you, you kind of easily forget that Rooney has been around for a long, long time. I mean, it's not like he burst onto the scene at 20. I mean, if that was the case, he would still have had a 14-year professional career. He's been a professional for like 18 years so maybe it is just starting to catch up with him he says he's not a natural goal scorer one man who is certainly a natural goal scorer is Harry Kane will Harry Kane break Wayne Rooney's England record so Wayne Rooney got 120 in 53 games Harry Kane is currently on 32 goals he's got them across 45 games which is I can't do the maths that quickly, but a goal-scoring rate of 0.7 something, I think. Is Kane going to catch up Wayne Rooney? Yeah, definitely. Yes. I think Kane, how old's Kane? 24, 25? Another five years in... 26 now, I think, yeah. Is he? Well, another five years of playing for England. In them qualifiers, when you always get the likes of Liechtenstein and all these rubbish countries, you can fill your boot against them, so... I can't see Rooney's uh, Rooney's record lasting too long, to be honest. I think it's inevitable, Jim, that that, that he's going to break it. I mean, Rooney to score, f- what you say, 50 in 120-odd games. Harry Kane's already on 30. Mm. I mean, he's going to break it. Let's talk about the future of Harry Kane as we move into the transfer gossip we're going to talk about on today's Football Social Daily podcast. And supposedly, according to the Daily Mail, Real Madrid have decided they don't want to sign Harry Kane because of the financial situation the coronavirus has caused. But... According to the Italian media, Juventus now want to sign Harry Kane are a leading, and are leading the race for his signature. I mean, firstly, there are so many rumours surrounding Harry Kane at the moment. It seems every day there's another story about where he's going to end up. Is that a sign that he's going to leave Spurs this summer or at some point? Or is it just that he is one of the best strikers in Europe? So obviously being one of the best means 
there are clubs sniffing around you and you will be linked with a move away. I think it puts the is Harry Kane world class debate to bed, doesn't it? When you look over the last two weeks and think of the clubs that have been linked with him. Juventus now, Real Madrid before, Barcelona have been linked, Liverpool uh, have been rumoured, Manchester United have been heavily linked. He's been linked everywhere because he's world class. He's one of the best number nines in the world, which is baffling to me why people think that he's not up to the standard. Okay, I think he has dropped off the last season and a half. He's not been as good. I I totally understand that. And he does have a penchant for injuries. He loves getting injured. I don't know why. He seems to be injured all the time which is a frustration for fans of Tottenham and will be a frustration of wherever he goes next because I think he will move on to answer your question. I think it'll be a frustration for those supporters too. So I think this is one thing that does put it to bed for me. He's not being linked with Fiorentina or Fenerbahce or any teams like that, no mid-tier European teams. He's being linked with the elite clubs in world football. He is a world-class striker. The way I determine world-class is if there was a squad of 25 players and it was world eleven. Earth 11 against Mars 11. Would Harry Kane get in that squad of 25 players? In the striking category, 100% he is in that 25-man squad. For me, he's a world-class player, and this is why he's got the pick of where he goes next. There's going to be no shortage of uh, potential admirers for Harry Kane. It's just up to him to choose, and in my opinion, choose very, very wisely where he does end up next. I think this whole suspension of the season... I mean, is likely going to tip the scales in favour of him leaving Tottenham. I really do. Uh, It'd be a shame that he leaves under such a sort of damp squib. But to be honest, I think he is on his way out. Does Juventus feel like a a likely destination though, Marley? Because for me, maybe I'm being slightly harsh on the Italian league, but it it doesn't seem to be where footballers go when they want to test themselves at the top level. I mean, it seems to me you've got the Premier League and the Liga, and then you've got the Italian Serie A just below that. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, the one thing you you guaranteed at Juventus is is practically guaranteed a league title, and you're guaranteed with you're going to play alongside Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and they're massive pulls for for players. Mm. Um, obviously, Kane hasn't won a league title in his career yet. I think you, if he if it was to turn out that he went to Juventus, you guarantee one there. And I think there's an acceptance around the world that Juventus, it's only a matter of time before Juventus win the Champions League as well. So you are going to be like, you're going to be right up there competing with, with everything um, on the line. You know, there is a genuine chance of a treble every season. So also you're getting paid a, a load of money. You're getting paid, you're getting to play in a, a great stadium um, and everything with amazing players. You know, they've got the, the who's who of, of everyone they want in Italy, they pretty much sign everyone uh, they fancy, um, and then it's just a, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pulls towards towards Juventus, and I, I get that. Um, and there's also the longevity issue. I mean, it's mu- it's much more more tactical in um, in Italy, so it's a little bit you can play a little bit longer. So if you are looking to move there towards the end of your like career into your 30s it's the best place to go um so maybe it's maybe it's a little bit too soon for Harry Kane to to choose Italy maybe you you have to choose Spain first but like I say there's there's huge pulls towards Italy and it's a pretty nice place to live as well there Turin so not that bad I think he'd score an absolute bucket load in Italy I really do I mean I said this about Lukaku and Funnily enough, Lukaku's thunder this season's kind of been stolen by Letario Martinez. 
who's been the kind of the, the main man at Inter Milan this season, albeit they've tailed off in the uh, the last few months uh, in Serie A. But I, I just think that Harry Kane, even if he played half a season, would score an absolute shed load of goals for Juventus. I mean, the quality of chances are going to be greater. The opposition are not as strong as the Premier League opposition. I just think that if he's going to go to Juventus, he will. I think he'll enjoy a, a great time of it. I really do. Uh, Manchester City are already active in the transfer market or the future transfer market. They've apparently agreed a deal to sign 16-year-old Peruvian defender. Here we go. Kuvert Aguer from Allianz Lima. Uh, they've signed him, but he's going to be loaned back and uh, to the club until the 18th of May 2020. What you, 2021 so he's one for the future he's a right back he's young that's as far as i can go on that one any ideas boys on this i can tell you the one thing i know about him and that is his surname aguilar means eagle in spanish and that's all i've got for you oh very good oh, so we just should we just start calling him clive the eagle <laughs> clive the eagle that's clive the eagle. i mean just because City have signed him doesn't mean he's actually going to wear a City shirt at any point. That's the one thing we know about Manchester City is they have a business model that involves developing and moving on talent. So I don't think it's one for City fans to necessarily even, well, certainly not be getting names printed on back of shirts at the moment, is it? Well, the City football group, their kind of modus operandi is world domination, isn't it? They they want to be you know, the elite group of football clubs in the world. I mean, they've got scouts and eyes everywhere. They've got, I think they've got a club now in every continent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So for instance, there will be situations like this where players will get picked up um, off the back of playing in a league in which one of the city football group clubs are involved in. So I think this isn't the first time we'll see players like this um, being picked up by Manchester City. And it also won't be the first time that players come into City and nobody knows who they are and they might turn out to be amazing or they might turn out to be a flop. It's still quite embryonic in terms of them picking up players uh, that no one's heard of. But then again, look at Gabriel Jesus. I don't think many people had heard of him when he came to Manchester City. Uh, he was a bit of an unknown and he seemed to do really well and still has been doing really well. So hopefully City's strike rate is good for their sake. But for him to sign for Manchester City rather than one of the other City football group clubs just goes to show how much they ha they rate this guy. 16, already one appearance for Peru under 23s. I know it's probably not the greatest standard in terms of what we're used to in European football, but certainly it does show that he's got something about him. Uh, moving to Arsenal, now Alexandra Lacazette. His future has been called into doubt. Apparently, Arsenal are considering offering him to Atletico Madrid in a deal that would see Ghana midfielder Thomas Partey to move the other way, which seems like a weird one, particularly with the uncertainty over Aubameyang. I'd be personally surprised if Arsenal were willing to, or even considering, moving on Lacazette elsewhere at the moment. But do we know much about Thomas Partey, other than him having an absolutely fantastic name? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's he's top quality, Thomas. Thomas Partey, I mean, I remember watching him uh, in the in the game against Liverpool uh, for Atletico in the Champions League a few weeks back, and he was he was excellent in both legs. Uh, is is pretty much exactly what you'd think Arsenal need in the uh, in the middle of midfield. They need a bit of uh, a bit of industry and a bit of fight, and he's he's certainly got that. He's got great feet. He's he's dribbling spot on. Um, he's he's a good passer. He's got loads of energy. He seems perfect for Arsenal. Um, and Arsenal are in a, a situation where they've got to they've got to do quite a lot of work to get to where they want to be in in the in the upcoming seasons because if you lose 
one of your well, mm. it, it looks like they might lose both strikers, but I I would suggest they'll try and keep Aubameyang. Um, and if you if you've got Aubameyang and you've got the likes of Martinelli and Enketia as well, then maybe Lacazette isn't quite as uh, important as people seem to think. I think he's he's thirty. Um, there's interest from Atletico Madrid. I think that's a good move, a good move for him and a good move for Arsenal if they can recoup a decent fee for him, maybe maybe even 10 or 15 million, that's something to go into the coffers to try and get a player like Thomas Partey. And he can uh, he can be in the in the Arsenal team for the next few years and really give them what they need in midfield alongside someone like Xhaka or Torreira or even Ozil if he stays. I mean, he's he's a player that can take them on to, to, what they, to where they want to be. I'll tell you what, he's perfect... Um tabloid foil though isn't he Jim the headline writer's dream you know, you know once he signs get this party started um, you know pre-season tour to America party in the USA um, his fans they'll be called the 24 hour party people excellent work now very good right let's finish with Leicester City and James Madison's future we know he's been linked with various clubs including Manchester United now uh, Lee, uh, Leicester City TV which apparently is a thing reported via the mail have been discussing how he said he's very very happy with his role in Leicester City at the moment and staying at the club in the Midlands I mean this kind of thing means nothing does it I mean, when you ask a player whether they're happy at a club, they're very, very rarely going to say no. So although Leicester City fans will hang on to this as a sign he is going to stay, they don't feel like they're at that stage in development yet where they are going to be able to hang on to their best players if one of the big boys comes calling. Especially when this has come from Leicester City's official club media themselves, <laughs> you are likely to think that it's going to be as accurate as possible. I just can't see James Madison moving on this summer. This is the uh, this is my don't worry, there's not going to be a tornado Michael Fish moment, isn't it, on the podcast. Uh, I just can't see James Madison moving on. I just don't know why. It just doesn't feel right. Um, it feels more likely maybe in terms of consistency of performances that Jack Grealish is going to move on if, if we're talking about Madison to Manchester United because where else is he going to go? Mm. I can't think of any other club that would sign him. Um, it just feels that I think Grealish has been more consistent this season. I think since Christmas, Madison's dropped off a cliff and I can I can say that with confidence because I've got him in my fantasy team and I've had him in my fantasy team all season. And before Christmas, That's he was brilliant. not a good sign of a player's contribution though, fantasy football, is it? Not always, no, but before Christmas he was brilliant and since Christmas he's not been brilliant and I think the same can be said for the entirety of Leicester City but yet they're Mm. still clinging on to a spot in the top four so I just think um, maybe another season at Leicester to really determine how good this guy is. He is very, very good but I just think you've got to trust, I think you've got to trust Gareth Southgate as well. Maybe there's a reason why he's been picked for England squads for a year and only played one game. I mean, there's surely a reason behind that. I mean, there's no doubt in Madison's quality. I'm not saying he's a poor player. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that it doesn't feel like the right time for him to move on. Sometimes you just get a hunch when players feel like they might move. For instance, recently speaking about Harry Kane just now. But for whatever reason for James Madison, I just don't get that feeling that he's going to leave. I suppose Brendan Rodgers as well. We know he's a man who likes to develop players. He could have a role in moving James Madison on to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think well, I think one of the things to it for me is James Madison's seemed to have played a slightly different role um, this season as what he did last season, um, and I think he's he's really learning 
about that role and that's kind of a, um, impacted his, his numbers in terms of goals and assists and uh, match winning contribution kind of things I think last season he was uh, primarily a number 10 playing in that attacking role behind Vardy and it was uh, him and Vardy up, up to him and Vardy to score and create and pr- pretty much do everything um, but Leicester this season he's, he's playing in a slightly different role he's playing in, it's a lot of the time Leicester play with um, three up front or two up front which doesn't rely on a, a and number 10 in attacking midfield, he's playing as a, as a midfield three, so he has to do a bit more dirty work, a bit more tackling, a bit more cover, a bit more ground. And I think that's kind of um, impacted him a little bit, um, but it's probably made him a more well-rounded player. So I think maybe the outsiders are probably looking and saying he's not he's not quite doing as well. But I, I'm pretty pretty sure Brendan Rodgers would be more happy with him this season than he, than he probably was last season because... He's showing he can do a different part of his game, and alongside the likes of Yuri Tielemans in midfield and Wilfred Ndidi, he's becoming a very uh, a solid midfielder rather than a guy who might who might come up with a goal and then might go missing for a game. So maybe he's he's adding a bit more consistency to his game, and maybe that is uh, something that can impact his future. We will, of course, be keeping an eye on all the transfer rumours over the next few weeks while we wait patiently for the Premier League season to restart. Marley, Niall, thank you very much for today on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Don't forget you can get all the latest Premier League news and views by clicking subscribe to Football Social Daily. We'll be back on Wednesday with another podcast. Click subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Acast or however you listen. And don't forget to give us a follow on social media as well. You can search The Sport Social in Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And you can find us there and we'll see you next time for the podcast. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.